0: This series comes with a content note. Some of what you'll hear is distressing. Please check the show notes for phone numbers you can contact to receive confidential support. In this series, abuse perpetrated by an intimate partner is described as family violence, domestic abuse or domestic violence. We acknowledge that production took place on what always has been and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: When you leave... You're taking everything with you in terms of debt, your poor credit score. So you say, I better stay in this or else I'm, I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to have nothing.
2: My name's Tharang Chaffler, and my sister Nikki was killed by her partner in 2015. I'm a writer, lawyer and anti-violence advocate. And I'm also the host of this No Place Like Home.
3: Financial abuse can be a difficult to spot, but it's basically using money to control another individual. So, an example might be restricting their access to money. It might be not sharing financial details. It might be getting an individual to take out a loan that they don't want to take out or they aren't getting any benefit from. So, it's really any way that a person can control another individual by using money as the weapon.
2: That was Sean Lewis. She's Combank's group executive of human resources and works closely with the ComBank Next Chapter program, which helps victim survivors of financial abuse to get back on their feet and become financially independent. Sean's going to help us navigate this episode about financial abuse, which is disturbingly common in violent family relationships.
3: It appears in about 90% of cases that escalate to domestic and family violence. And as we know, one in four women and one in 13 men have experienced physical violence from an intimate partner. So financial abuse is very connected to those kinds of statistics.
2: Despite the prevalence of financial abuse, which is present in up to 90% of abusive relationships, according to Monash University research, most people don't realise how serious it is.
3: There's actually been a recent uh, National Community Attitude Survey which said that Australians are much less likely to see non-physical coercive control as domestic and family violence, and that includes emotional and financial abuse. So there's still a lot of work.
2: According to a recent report by Combank and Deloitte, financial abuse cost the Australian economy around $5.2 billion in 2020. That number was primarily lost productivity and the price of mental health support for victim survivors. The direct cost to victim survivors was even higher, a staggering $5.7 billion. That number is made up of money that perpetrators steal or withhold from victim survivors, money that's not paid for child support or for joint bills and from joint debt. So let's take some time to better understand this personally and financially devastating form of abuse. Thomas met Jim more than a decade ago, but of course those aren't their real names.
1: So this person is about 10 years my senior, is in a very high-paid job or was
2: then earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Despite his high salary, Jim was between apartments and moved in with Thomas almost immediately. It was a bit
1: confusing for me at the start as to why he didn't have anywhere to stay or why he couldn't get his own place pretty quickly.
2: Thomas felt that asking his new partner about his financial situation wasn't polite or at least he was worried that asking about finances too early was a dating taboo. I don't really
1: like asking people about financials and really personal things and because of how professional he was I was like oh Maybe this is normal. It was just always an excuse, an excuse, an excuse.
2: In a romantic partnership, what's mine is yours is a common cultural mentality that many of us lean into. It's also what many abusers exploit. And financial abuse tends to begin with the language of sharing. Jane Matz is a victim-survivor advocate, law student, and the founder of the Sisters-in-Law Project. You met her in episode three. Jane says that she was brought up to believe that couples share everything.
4: You did everything together, you put everything into a pool and you worked together and come towards a common goal.
2: So when Jane's ex complained that he didn't like his job, she offered to work full-time and support them while he set up his own business. She considered it a smart financial move that they'd eventually benefit from. Together. Together.
4: I am come from a business background, so I helped him set up part of his business.
5: His business had the potential to earn a lot of money. He said this one sentence, come on Buncey, open up. And he'd say it all the time. He's like, come on, open up.
2: That was professional basketballer Alex Bunton, who you met earlier in the season. The man who abused Alex, who we're calling Lucas, was in and out of employment. We've changed his name.
5: He needed to get in my mind. He needed to get me expressing myself to the point of like, I'm an open book. And I just kept remembering that and looking back on that, it's like, wow, I really wish I didn't open
2: up. Lucas quickly eroded Alex's emotional boundaries and he made Alex feel guilty for being more successful than him. And then he began borrowing money from her.
5: He would be in and out of a job. So it would be this good, bad, good, bad, good, bad all the time. He was like, don't worry, I'll pay you back. Or don't worry, this is how much I'm going to get paid this week. It's going to be fine. And there would be excuses after excuses to try and reassure me that financially, you're going to be fine. You logically try and think about reasoning, okay, well, we are together. It's going to be okay
2: financially. We'll work through it. Sean Lewis says that it's common for couples to share a bank account.
3: Usually there's a partner who's better, more organised, wants to pay the bills or get involved in that. I think from our perspective, it's about always being comfortable and talking about the decisions that you make together.
2: The warning signs come when a partner does something that makes you feel uncomfortable or like you have no sense of control.
3: Where things begin to go wrong is, oh, I've just made this big decision and I didn't discuss it with you and now that's left us in a very different position.
2: Alex Bunton would wake up in the morning and find that Lucas had done just that. We'd have a card together and he just took my
5: card and would just spend money and spend money and spend money. If I questioned him about it, he would retaliate by doing something to either hurt me emotionally or mentally.
2: In the beginning, Lucas would pay back some of the money.
5: He would put like $2,000 in and then he'd spend 3000 and it'd be like, well, I put $2,000 in, what are you talking about? I still contributed. So what's there to complain about?
2: But as their relationship continued, Lucas's excuses became explosions of verbal abuse that made Alex feel afraid and disoriented.
5: One moment you're okay with sharing a lot of things with your partner and then the next minute you're in fear of sharing things with your partner and then you go back to being okay with it. It's like this unexplainable mindset and feeling, I know it's wrong but I can't do anything about it or we're just going to fight or... Okay, I'll just trust his word. I know he's not in a good space right now because he'd share about his mental health. So it's almost like constantly making finance this uncomfortable subject because I had the money, so it should be okay.
2: Meanwhile, Jim served Thomas similar excuses early on in their relationship. It's behaviour that Thomas now knows is commonplace from financial abusers.
1: The day that they'll pay back will always come the next time and the next time and the next time. And it will often be followed by, I can't get you back this week, but let's do something nice, you know, an overact of love or, you know, showing that they're dedicated to you.
2: Several years into his relationship with Jim, Thomas had become the primary provider. It was
1: always on me, not just financial. uh, It sort of went into every facet. I would have to pick up his children. I would have to pay for their bills. I would have to pay for medical dental bills for his children on top of cleaning, cooking, everything. I was a slave, essentially, a slave that was working very hard in my own job just to pay for this
2: situation. Thomas became afraid of his partner's reactions whenever he brought up the subject of money or work. I never used to think I'm paying for everything
1: because that would be a trigger for
2: him to blow up. Either he would get very,
1: very angry or he would get very, very suicidal, which I know now is another sort of tactic.
2: After a couple of years, Thomas learned that Jim gambled. And not just the occasional bet, Jim gambled a lot. And eventually, debt collectors began contacting Thomas. I would have debt collectors
1: call me multiple times, be very threatening on the phone because of money healed. And when I would say I was a bit nervous, a bit afraid, he would say, just chill out, just calm down. There's
2: this common misconception that financial abuse only happens when a man is earning more than his female partner. And through his earnings, he traps her into staying. But that's far from the only way that this abuse occurs. In fact... Research from the Australian National University published in 2021 found that a woman earning more than a male partner actually increases her chance of being impacted by domestic violence by 35%. That report notes that domestic abuse is driven by a violation of gender norms and that women earning more money doesn't always give them more power.
3: It's actually less about how the money comes in than how the money then gets managed. Many individuals buy assets in joint names, which is very sensible generally in a functioning and healthy relationship, but can become very difficult. You may have contributed much more money towards the purchase of your flat or house, but if you've signed in joint names and you haven't got any record of the fact that you contributed 70% and your partner's only contributing 30, that becomes a joint asset to which they continue to have an entitlement.
2: This brings me back to Jane Matz, who was still carrying the entire financial load for her family after two years. Her partner's business wasn't making any money.
4: I'm paying for everything. I'm paying mortgage. We had an investment property at the time. We had kids. We
2: had lots of bills. When Jane did leave, she found out that her former partner's business wasn't as unprofitable as she'd been led to believe. In fact, he'd been turning a profit for years.
4: I got the materials from child support In all those period of time where I was working a full-time job and supporting everyone and paying for everything, he was earning uh, one year he'd earned 240000 and the next year he'd, earn $270, 000, he'd earned $270,000, he would earned 300000 one year but none of that money ever went back into helping me pay for the things that needed to be done for the family. I can't tell you the absolute despair that I felt when I read those documents. I couldn't believe that someone would watch me deteriorate like that.
2: Jane says the couple sent their child to school before he was ready because the couple couldn't afford another year of preschool. Except, as we now know, they could. Jane simply just didn't know that they could. And it was their child who suffered as a result.
4: He was struggling at preschool and they recommended that he not go to school so young, that he would be held back and I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to keep him in daycare. So he went to school and it was really detrimental to him. He watched that and I still to this day cannot believe that he thought that was
2: okay. Not letting someone know or have access to family income is a form of financial abuse and so is pressuring your partner to take on a loan or a debt on your behalf
1: mobile phone contracts, rent, bonds, was just always in my name, which I didn't really think twice about. But now I know it's because this person had really bad debt or wouldn't be able to get the contract if they used their own details.
2: Having to ask your partner for permission to spend small amounts of money is also a form of abuse. I remember this
1: person would blow tens of thousands of dollars and I would message this person say, can I get a muffin with my coffee today? And it'd be like, of course you can get a muffin. I have to ask this permission because if this person saw the bill, they're like $9 on Wednesday. I would then have to nearly explain because it actually came back to me that I was overspending.
2: And yes, spending money that you've both previously agreed is to be spent on bills, rent or the mortgage, on something else can also be a form of abuse.
6: The first time your partner gambles the rent money, that's a red flag. Whether that be gambling or whether it just be spending their money on stuff they like to do as opposed to the benefit of the household.
2: That was Lula Dembele. She's the Director of Lived Expertise, Government Relations and Advocacy at the Illawarra Women's Trauma Recovery Centre. Lula's been in two significant relationships where financial abuse occurred. And in both cases, her partner was earning more than her, but was irresponsible with their money.
6: It meant that I was always then having to cover the costs of food, rent, bills, and it limited my ability to enjoy my money. So despite me working full-time, essentially paying for the upkeep of two people, and that's not being reciprocated.
2: Like Alex Bunton, Lula's partner also borrowed money from her, promising that it would be repaid. I
6: remember early on, I'd saved up money for Christmas holidays so that when we were away we could have a little bit of spending money and my partner at the time had said, oh well, I'll borrow some of that now, I just need some cash now, so I'll borrow that and I'll pay you back.
2: Just before Christmas, Lula asked for the money back.
6: And they're like, nah, you didn't lend me the money, that wasn't how this worked, we didn't agree that I'd pay you back. Well, of course we did because I had saved that money for a specific purpose and I wouldn't have lent it to you or just given it away. And now we can't have this time that I had planned, that I worked hard for, that I saved for, that I am now not benefiting from because you're being selfish or irresponsible.
2: Lula believes that financial abuse can be so difficult to define because it might not necessarily be all about control. For many abusers, it is about control. But for others, it might not be intentional at all.
6: I even struggle now to frame what happened in my relationship as financial abuse. I know the impact on me was abusive and destabilising and certainly undermined a lot of my personal wealth. But I don't hold that the motivation was necessarily deliberate to control me and so it's hard to balance out intent of his actions and the impact on me because the impact's the same.
2: Lula says that it's the impact... Not the intention that matters when determining if abusive behaviour has occurred.
6: Regardless of that intention, regardless of the person that you're in a relationship with, their mentality around it, if the impact on you is still the same result, that your finances are being undermined, that you're paying off your partner's debt, that you're losing your assets, that's financial abuse that is fundamentally destabilising your welfare. And that shouldn't happen in a loving, caring relationship.
2: Sean Lewis explains that it's important to tap into the feelings that you're experiencing.
3: The emotion underneath is, I am not in control. And so if you feel uncomfortable because you don't feel you're in control, then that's the first inkling that something might be going wrong. And everybody will have different levels of comfort.
2: Financial abuse can have serious long-term impacts on someone's financial well-being. Imagine being left responsible for joint loans or being coerced into developing a poor credit history. Imagine the prospect of long-term financial hardship and even homelessness. Alex was eventually left with nothing at all.
5: It was my birthday. I woke up and he drained my bank account and he wasn't with me at the time. I, I went home and I just woke up that morning and thought, this is the moment that I need to call the police and not even second guess it.
2: Thomas always wanted to be a dad, and with the help of a surrogate, he became one. Thomas left when he realised the financial abuse perpetrated by his former partner was endangering his children.
1: At that point, I couldn't afford the childcare for that week. I had no money for food for them. I inevitably had to call my family and ask, can I borrow $100 or something? Which was so embarrassing to me because I've never ask my parents for any money but I had to feed my kids and this was a real warning for me that okay my kids are actually going to be in danger if I stay in this situation.
2: If you're worried about your own relationship and you feel like financial abuse might be happening to you pay careful attention to the facts but also note down how you feel. If you're feeling trapped alone and helpless without access to the funds that you might need to leave, if you feel like you have no autonomy or there's this gut feeling that something isn't quite right, if you feel like you're walking on eggshells or you're too scared to ever bring up the subject of money, then financial abuse could be at play. If you're experiencing feelings of shame and humiliation, these are also signs, and they could be red flags according to 1800RESPECT.
3: The more that we can make people understand what financial abuse looks like, the easier it is for people to recognise and to get help.
2: If you notice that you're being made to feel stupid or incompetent and so you doubt your own financial knowledge, that's a warning sign. And if your partner keeps all loans, mortgages, credit cards and accounts in their name, making you feel powerless and trapped, that's another warning sign. And if there are no discussions about finance or decisions are made entirely without your input, 1-800-RESPECT says that these could be signs that it's not a healthy financial relationship.
6: How money is shared or how money is used is really important to look at in your relationship. Being irresponsible with fundamentals like not paying for the food shopping, not paying for the rent, not paying for things when they've committed to pay for things is really critical. They might seem like small things, but they're really big things.
2: Lula says to watch out for language where a partner denies, dismisses or minimises your needs and reality. For example, denying that they need to pay you back.
6: That element of gaslighting of that's not what we agreed. And it's like, that is sure is what we agreed.
2: Sean Lewis says that we all need to understand our finances and not be afraid of managing them ourselves.
3: You have to learn to manage your finances in the same way as we learn to manage anything else. At its heart it's very simple, it's kind of what's incoming, what's outgoing, what do I want to achieve with the money that I've got.
2: As your finances become more complicated, there are experts and resources that you can lean on outside of a romantic partnership.
3: That's where your bank, certainly Commonwealth Bank, can help you. You can go into branch and talk about the best way to manage your finances as well. But there's lots of information available for you to get more comfortable with how you manage your finances.
2: And you can also lean on these resources if you are being financially abused or you're recovering from abuse, no matter who you bank with.
3: In the Australian community, we established a partnership with Good Shepherd, which is the next chapter financial independence hub. And that's available to anybody across Australia. You don't have to be a customer with the Commonwealth Bank to reach out to the financial independence hub and to support people in their recovery journey.
2: It made all the difference for Lula. After hearing about Combank's next chapter program in season one of this podcast, she decided to reach out and find out more about their resources.
6: I just thought, oh, I wonder what they are. Given my own experiences and where I was at financially, I was like, I could really take with some help.
2: And through the Next Chapter program, Lula was given support, education and a loan. She even eventually bought her own home.
6: I've gone from nothing and feeling like I don't know anything to getting back into the property market.
2: Lula says that she now feels empowered to deal with money and she's actively working towards a retirement plan.
6: It's just allowed me the space to know that it's okay to back myself, to invest in myself, and that wealth creation is not a dirty word, and that just because I'm a single mum doesn't mean I'm out of reach to access services that I would have previously only thought rich people can use.
2: A person's decision to perpetrate financial abuse against someone is never the victim's fault. But there are some strategies that can indicate early on whether someone respects another person's right to be financially secure. How do they respond when asked for an open dialogue about finances? Are they comfortable checking in regularly?
3: Set up some regular time to talk about where are we at, Do we still want to be spending money on the same things? What does the bank account look like? What have we been spending? Just so that both members of the relationship are fully across what's happening in their financial lives in the same way as they're fully across what's happening in their social or emotional lives. It's often very hard, you know, finances are not people's most exciting subject to talk about of a romantic evening.
1: I think being aware that these are real signs and symptoms at the start of a relationship, and to be honest, getting out if you can, is so important. Because someone who's going to financially abuse you, even if they're lovely in every other aspect, It is not worth it. It's not worth
6: it. I think some fundamentals around finances is can you afford, literally afford to take this good with this bad?
2: Next week on There's No Place Like Home, we'll explore blame shifting. Men will criticise and blame their partners for not being a good lover, a good partner, a good person. See you then.
0: There's No Place Like Home is a Future Women podcast in collaboration with our proud partner, Commonwealth Bank, who are committed to helping end financial abuse through Combank Next Chapter. No matter who you bank with, if you're worried about your finances because of domestic and family violence, you can contact Combank's Next Chapter team. Contact them on 1800 222 387 within Australia or visit combank.com.au/slash nextchapter. If you need help or advice, please check the show notes for phone numbers for confidential support. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. It'll help these important stories to reach more people's ears. For more information about There's No Place Like Home or to join the movement, please head to futurewomen.com. This episode was produced by Jamila Rizvi, Emily Brooks, Mel Fulton, Sally Spicer, Hannah Fahour and Tarang Chavla. Editing by Bad Producer Productions, artwork by Patty Andrews.